I think it's because one, the laziness, but <laughs> tied into the laziness is that in the six years that I've been in business, I haven't made much of an effort to get in front of other people's audiences. Instead, I'm just like, I'm gonna run some ads because I know how to do that. And then I don't spend the time like researching podcasts to get onto, networking with people, doing like JV webinars. I'm just like, no, here's the ad. We became entrepreneurs because more than anything, we want freedom. We want to be in control of our own schedule, income, and life. But unfortunately, that isn't always the reality of being a business owner. I'm Gillian Perkins, and I'm on a mission to take back entrepreneurship for what it's supposed to be. In every episode, I'll share with you how to get the most out of every hour you work so that you can work less and earn more. Let's get to it. Hey there, friends, and welcome back to another episode of Work Less, Earn More. Today, I am joined by Claire Pelletro, who is a Facebook and Instagram ad consultant and the creator of Absolute Facebook Ads. And I asked her to be on the show today for a slightly unusual reason. I read on her blog a while back that she considers herself to be a kind of lazy person, which is an unusual admission, I think. And it surprised me also because I I see Claire as a really productive person who makes big moves with her business. So I wanted to get her on the show and talk to her a little bit about how she is accomplishing so much while apparently being a somewhat lazy person. A couple other things that you should know about Claire is that she is the host of the Get Paid podcast, which is a podcast that I listen to myself and really enjoy. And she also produces a blog that I read on a regular basis. And I would say that Claire is definitely an underrated marketing expert because the quality of the content that she puts out is always so high quality. So with that being said, allow me to introduce to you Claire Pelletro. Hey there, Claire, and welcome to the show. Gillian, thank you so much for the best intro I've ever heard. I was just thinking the same thing myself, that I am an underrated <laughs> expert. I think so. Uh, that's fine. I mean, that's what happens when you kind of fly under the radar for a while. But don't worry, I'm, I'm flying. What's the opposite of under the radar? Over? Over the radar. I'm going for over, yeah. okay? Yeah, okay. You can go over the radar. I think you will still miss the radar, but you can do that. <laughs> The reason I say that you're underrated is just because every time I read one of your blog posts or I listen to your podcast, I am surprised by the quality. I'm surprised by the level of detail that you bring because I know how time consuming it is to gather all of those details, all of those facts, say about a launch and put them into a blog post um, to gather those screenshots and to make the, the blog post or the podcast episode as useful as you make them. And so I'm always surprised that more people aren't talking about you. Well, you know why I think pe more people don't know about me and my work? I think it's because one, the laziness, but <laughs> tied into the laziness is that in the six years that I've been in business, I haven't made much of an effort to get in front of other people's audiences. Mm. Instead, I'm just like, I'm going to run some ads because I know how to do that. And then I don't spend the time like researching podcasts to get onto, networking with people, doing like JV webinars. I'm just like, no, here's the ads. But sometimes my own money runs out. <laughs> so like there's sort of a cap, whereas all that 
PR stuff or just like outreach, there's no financial cap on that. The cap is on your time. time cap. Yeah, exactly. So could I have done a better job of that? Should I have? Definitely. I would say in the time I've been in business, do I really regret it? Nah, I'm doing fine. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's so interesting how there are so many different ways that people can be successful or be connected or be known. And I've just realized that as my audience has grown in my case, for example, I have a pretty wide recognition on certain platforms and a lot of, I have a lot of followers who know who I am, but I'm a terribly connected person. Hmm. Like I don't know other people in the industry. One of the reasons I started the podcast was to be able to to connect with more people in the industry and to learn from them as well and get the opportunity to interview them and things like that. But you, on the other hand, your audience, I think is relatively small, relatively, but you seem to be a fairly well-connected person. A lot of people who are in our same space, if I mention you, they totally know who I'm talking about. Hmm. Yeah, no, it's funny. I would definitely say I have a a fairly a small audience, especially like on my podcast, which is almost what I'm best known for at this point. Mm -hmm. And yet I have this like I probably only get about 2000 downloads per new episode in a week. I like to talk about numbers. I'm real transparent. So, you know, (laughs) Um, like that's not that many compared to the big podcasts in this. Well, I would say actually just compared to how many people reach out to me about it. I'm Mm. always like, wait, how come I'm not in the tens of thousands if everyone is talking about this episode? Anyway, but the, yeah, the connectedness, what did it come from? Well, I, right before I started my business, I was working for one of the better known people in the like info product space, Laura Roeder, who is the, she's the founder of uh, Meet Edgar. And she is now out of the personal brand saying she has taken herself out of the Mm -hmm. brand of Meet Edgar on purpose. But a lot of her like students or people who I would, you know, reach out to, to do partnerships for her, they are now some of the bigger names in online business. Uh, So it definitely, I think, impacted my beginnings. But then I would just be, and have been for years, so scared of reaching out to people and getting a no Like, I'll be just, you know, straight up honest. I would say that until last year, really, I had extremely low self-confidence in my business and assumed that more people would say no to me or laugh at me for some reason than would say yes. And um, honestly, stepping out of that has been a huge game changer for me and just kind of finally, like, recognizing that people do know about my work and and value it in a huge way. And to sort of assume that more people are going to do that than have a negative reaction to me and my work has been has been a really important step. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that that's something we can all learn from, right? There, <laughs> All of us has, have room for growth there. I know I certainly do. I don't reach out to people sometimes for the same reason. Something that has helped me is just that over time, as I have slowly reached out to more and more people and about more and more opportunities, I've come to see what a numbers game it is and how the fact that I got a few no's in a row really was just a fluke. And sometimes I reach out to someone who has a much 
much smaller audience than me about something and they'll say no. And sometimes I reach out to someone who has a much larger audience than me and they say yes. And it's really just a mixed bag and it really depends on the circumstances of the individual person you're reaching out to. And it has a lot more to do with them than it has to do with me. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I've let myself be scared for too long and it has certainly kept me playing small. And I would say I only shed that yet in the past 12 months or so. And how do you think you have or how have you changed things in these past 12 months? Have you started doing anything differently based on some newfound self-confidence? Yeah, I started doing more JV webinars. So not just webinars where like I pitch something and Mm -hmm. people can buy and there's an affiliate commission. I've definitely done more of those, but also just reaching out to people who have ginormous audiences and being like, hey, do you want to do like a Facebook ad Q&A? Is there something I can do for your audience that, you know, there's no no ask at the end or something like that? And mm-hmm. the, I, I haven't gotten a no yet mm. since I started doing that. That might have to do with the years of blogging and podcasting and whatnot. But it also just might be because it's the right, it's the right offer at the right time. And there doesn't always have to be like money in the middle. I think in the beginning I was like, People will only want to do this if they can get a commission. Mm. But I've started, oh, and this is this is what's really funny, is that I had a real aversion to doing any kind of affiliate thing where I was going to get a kickback. Like I thought people were going to hate that and hate me for it. Oh my God, they love being introduced to these really brilliant, usually women uh, who have incredible things to offer. I'm getting the thank you for that. And yes, I'm also getting some money out of it, which is great because then it's not just, you know, my time for like here, me Gillian. But so having changed that mindset, I started seeing like, okay, I can just offer this knowledge that, you know, let's say so-and-so has a community. There are always Facebook ad questions in every single community and they don't know how to answer them or they don't want to. And I can be that person. I can solve that problem for them. Well, that sounds awesome. And I love how you're really just like making the most of all those little opportunities instead of waiting for some like perhaps big, amazing opportunity to make a lot of money. But you're just taking the opportunities that are coming your way and reaching out about more opportunities to slowly work on probably even more increasing your confidence and building your audience and reaching new people. Yeah. Definitely. And I've turned on the ads again, like more <laughs> ads just to to things that don't even necessarily send an immediate ROI. But it's because of that, like, oh, wow, this is extremely valuable for people mm-hmm. and they appreciate having it. And most people will then, you know, sign up for something else of mine for free and then the paid thing and whatever. So, yeah, yeah I think it's we- funny about ads and confidence as well, because y- you can look at numbers, but then those numbers will make you think like, oh, people like me or they don't, but it's actually about like bidding who, how many people are trying to reach the same audience. Sure. That makes sense. So let's get into talking about ads and also how that relates to laziness. So as I mentioned earlier, and you're a Facebook ad strategist, you've been doing that for a pretty long time, haven't you? That's been my entire business. I have now twice ventured into like different topics to talk about Mm -hmm. for a short period of time, but it always comes back to the ads. And I've been selling the same course since 2014. I mean, it's been updated several times and (laughs) 
and expanded. But but yeah, it's the same course. Yeah. And that really is a quite long lifespan for an online course. And I really applaud you for doing the the work and the and putting in the effort to keep it updated so you could continue to sell it. Because I know as someone who has a lot of ideas and is personally kind of lazy as well, I'll run with an idea and, you know, maybe launch it once or a few times. And then especially in the past, I often would just shelve it to move on to my next idea. But you've really stayed consistent with your Facebook ads course. And so I think that that says a lot about about your underlying work ethic, even if you don't like to work a lot, just about the fact that you're committed to doing that high quality work that I was talking about earlier. So anyway, let's get into talking about that. So how has being lazy affected choices you've made in your business? And how does that relate to Facebook ads? Sure. So if you go onto any of my social profiles, Facebook and Instagram, namely, you'll notice that I don't post very much there about my business. I'll post maybe once a week about the latest podcast episode. I don't even always do that. And I feel terrible for the guest <laughs> who's not getting promoted, but like sometimes there's just not enough time. Mm -hmm. But when I need people to know about something, I run ads about that thing. I just wrapped up a launch and and this happens for every single one of my launches. We do not spend very much time writing social posts, scheduling them, whatever. And by we, I mean like if I'm working with more people on my team or if it's just me, like right now, it's mostly me in the business. But I set up the ads and then I forget it. I tell them to stop at a certain time and that's it. That's how people find out that the cart is open. The cart is closing. This bonus is happening. I don't keep posting it on Instagram because I don't know, I have like, I think 3000 followers on Instagram, but what gets the engagement on Instagram? The photo of my baby bump, right? Mm -hmm. yep. No one. I mean, sure. There's some reach on these other things and sure. There's going to be some people who make the effort to click on the link in your bio and go. But if you look at the actual traffic, which I wish I had the numbers for you, Ellen, but if we look at traffic from Instagram to my site that's not ad traffic, it's going to be so marginal that oh, yeah. it's just not worth the time. And I still don't understand why people spend so much time on social media marketing during launches. It's just like you can set up the ads and the ads will let people know. Maybe too much, too often, you know? It's just yeah, between the limited reach that you get on promotional posts because people don't engage with them as much. So if you're typically reaching, say, 3,000 people with your average, you know, interesting personal sort of post, and then you do this promotional post, you're probably going to reach maybe half that number of people in the first place. And then but of that 1,500 people, the conversion rate from social to even a free offer, even if I'm, say, promoting a YouTube video on Instagram, the conversion rate will be so low that it's resulting in a handful of clicks. And it's just really not worth it, which is why we've, and this kind of goes uh, away from the topic of launching, but we've transitioned from trying to get any sort of traffic from Instagram over to YouTube to now just posting on IGTV. We just post the video mm. on YouTube and also at IGTV where people can watch it natively and they don't have to convert because I don't want to waste other people's time either. Right. So, okay. That's very interesting because, you know, there are these different strategies about like, no, you have to get them over to YouTube so that YouTube knows that you're smart or like that people yeah. like you. But if you just want to build up the relationship or share your knowledge, perfect. I love IGTV is the answer. So much simpler. 
Yeah. And I think that you just really have to strategically think about why you're doing what you're doing, what your goals are, and then what is actually having the biggest impact on those goals. So whether you're trying to convert someone to a, be a buyer or you're trying to get views on YouTube or you're trying to grow your YouTube channel, you know, whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish, what is really going to be the, the most leverage lever that you can pull where you're going to have to put in the least amount of effort, but you're going to see the biggest results. So uh, you're talking about your ad strategy for your launches. I'm curious, would that work for someone who has a smaller ad budget? How much are you typically spending on your launch? And do you, can you share any numbers about your ROI? I actually only spent $300 on this past launch. Oh, in wow. My, in my ads. I had been running ads. I, I think of them separately as launch ads and simple list building ads because you know at the time that we're recording this ad costs are low mm -hmm. right yeah. you know yeah. I can't I can't say what's going to happen with them yeah. but I started running my own ads again you know kind of after a long time just to basically grow the list and take advantage of these super low costs mm -hmm. because those ads are are about a Facebook ad resource, I did not expect very much crossover like those people to convert in this launch, which was for a course that was about running paid workshops, not ads related. In fact, that course does not talk about ads. So I did, I had been spending, I don't know, two to $3,000 maybe in like the six weeks prior to this launch mm -hmm. for list building purposes. But for the actual cart open, I spent $330. It was mm -hmm. it's cart to open and cart is closing because it was only a five-day like sales period. And I spent $330 and the traffic, like the actual people who clicked on those ads and converted resulted in, I know it was $1,188 in sales. Like, yeah, $1,188 in sales. Mm -hmm. So what's that? Four from a $297? product that sounds about right so mm -hmm. not a ton right not a ton of of sales at all but i think of retargeting ads during a launch especially a small like this was the chillest launch i've ever done i didn't even do a webinar so that's and the reason the reason the the ad budget was so small was because i didn't do a webinar i didn't run ads promoting the webinar cuz that's mm -hmm. where you spend on ads for a launch. I think of that $330 as an insurance policy because I wasn't really talking about this thing for very long. I was just like, oh, hey guys, here's a new thing. Get it quick. So I wanted to make sure that everybody who might be interested in it in my existing audience knew about it. So I ran ads that were basically optimized for sales. And I also ran ads that were optimized simply for reach to reach everyone in my audience to give them the opportunity. So sure, it was a that was a perfectly good ROI, but not my typical launch like ad strategy. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, my personal philosophy on spending on ads and ROI is that as long as I'm breaking even, I'm willing to spend money all day long because it's growing my audience. It's growing my list. Now, of course, we always want to do way better than breaking even, but I'm happy to spend as long as I'm at least breaking even. Well, right, because my assumption and for what it's worth, I, that's my exact feeling on ads as well. But you and I both have an existing audience outside of ads, right? Mm -hmm. So you, usually our revenue is going to come from that existing audience if you spend 
10K on ads for a webinar to simply cold audiences, people who have never heard of you, and that you get 10K back. For you, that 10K back, like like you said, it pays for those basically new subscribers that are probably yeah. going to convert even more later, but you made the money off of your organic. And that's where it can get tricky for people who don't have the organic audience already built in. And they're hoping to make their own twenty, thirty thousand dollars from like a 5k ad spend the first time, the first time out of the gate. It's, it can happen, Mm -hmm. but there are so many factors. So I love that thought of just looking at it like ads wise, I'm trying to break even. Mm-hmm. And I think especially when someone is first starting out going into it with that being the the minimum bar that you're setting. And I mean, I say that I at least want to break even. I honestly spend money on ads even if I'm slightly negative because I can afford to spend a little bit of money on marketing. You know what I mean? To grow mm-hmm. my brand. That makes sense. Like, why wouldn't I spend if I'm spending, say, $3,000 on ads and I'm negative, so I'm losing 300 of those dollars. Well, I'd be happy to spend $300 to grow my email list, right? <laughs> like, that's right. not that big of an expense, even if you're a little bit negative. Because like, what would be your average cost per lead, Gillian? Would you think? Oh, you know, it depends so much on what we are promoting. Um, so I, I really can't even say, especially because lately our ads have been, there's just been so much drama with our ads. We relatively recently had resumed running ads and had really launched um, a big campaign. And I mean, then the broader sense than just a, a Facebook ad campaign, but like implemented that in our marketing probably about four or five months ago. Then coronavirus, right? Affecting ad prices. Then Facebook with all of their current issues with their uh, teams being, uh, well, just working remotely, I think. And they were launching a new version of Facebook and just so much going on. Somehow in that mess, they accidentally shut down my ad account completely, like restricted my ad access and then told me that it was an accident and that they would fix it and didn't fix it. So (gasps) they've had to create a new ad account. Are you serious? Uh, Yes, we've been, it's been about six weeks now of trying to get them to do just what they said they had done of turning my ads back on and to no avail. So we finally have just given up and are starting over from scratch. So anyway, so for all of those reasons, I have no idea what my current average lead cost is but fair. In the past it has we we've also just been experimenting with a lot of different funnels and we see really different costs in the different funnels so. definitely right yeah. because <laughs> i mean just to, to give people a sense of what we're talking about here the thing that i turned back on recently to take advantage of these cheap cost per leads is just a it's basically a a swipe file of audiences to target depending mm. on your niche and also a pdf explaining how do you set up audiences and what what's important here? That I launched it. I was getting dollar fifty leads. They ended up averaging more like three fifty because the first first few days can be like this is the mm. best thing that ever happened to me, <laughs> and then they you know they sort of stabilize. But whereas my webinar costs, if I'm running as to just my evergreen webinar, I will in a like non Corona time will probably pay ten dollars a lead. Hmm. So So the quality of the subscriber, though, is very different. Somebody who's signing up to watch a masterclass is already making this micro commitment to me that like signing up for something that they they know it's going to take them no time to look at. It's not the same. 
Yeah. Well, I would completely just collaborate your ad, your lead costs, and especially for the webinars as well, that while I can't give you an exact number at all, we typically are paying like two to $3 per lead for a freebie. But if it's a webinar, yeah, it's normally more in that five to $10 range. I try to keep it as close to five as possible. And if it isn't close to five, then we're like writing lots of new ad copy and things mm-hmm. like that. But yeah, five to $10 is pretty average for a webinar. My, my first experience with that was I bought a very expensive course. This was like early in my business. I bought a very expensive course about using webinars to launch and did the course and then was like, okay, now I've got this apparently great webinar. How do I get people to watch it? Their answer was Facebook ads since I didn't have an audience at all. And so I start spending on Facebook ads and I'm like, it's costing me more than $5 per, you know, per registration. And they, the people who had bought the course from was like, oh yeah, that's normal. And I'm like, I don't have money to spend. You know, like I'm just starting my business. I can't spend hundreds or thousands of dollars to get people on my webinar that I don't even know if it's going to convert. Right. It's a case of like cart before the or buggy before the horse, you know, needed to work on figuring out uh, something that was working with a warm audience first before for me, I was able to spend on ads. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I say this pretty often. So one, I say I'm lazy. And two, I say the Facebook ads are like Viagra. (laughs) They can give you a boost, but they're not going to make you good in bed. So if you try to build a business on ads alone and you're not successful, that doesn't mean that you won't be successful. It just means that, you know, cold traffic, ad traffic behaves in a, in a very specific way. You know, like people come into my funnel from my ads and they convert at a pretty low rate. Whereas organically my funnel has a fantastic conversion rate, but Ads specifically are this topic that one, people are skeptical about, and two, they really, really like don't want to run ads if they don't have to. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure why they're signing up for my webinar, but that would explain $10 <laughs> cost per leads. The, the one thing I will say though, Killian, and, and I don't know, you know, not everyone's going to agree with me here, but when people ask me if your funnel doesn't work with cold, is it a good funnel? It depends on what your goals are in your business. If you Mm want to scale to like a million dollars in sales in a year or 18 months, you need it to work with Facebook ads. Yeah. Because the cold specifically with with cold. Exactly. Because you're going to max out your warm audiences. And maybe all of this is kind of like mumbo jumbo. But yeah, you're going to max out your warm audiences. You have to turn to cold. And if you're losing money on cold, without a way to recoup that from a warm audience, then maybe your funnel isn't good. But mm-hmm. the, as somebody who who sometimes loses money on her own funnel ads, like I'm just like you. I'm like, oh, okay, so I make back some of the money that subsidizes my list building. Yes. I'm down. I'm happy. But other people are like, I want a 3X ROI or bust. Yeah, yeah. And so, so basically what you're saying is if you want to scale, especially really big, you have to figure out, you have to put in the extra work to make sure that your funnel is converting at a really good rate to a cold audience because otherwise you can only reach so many people and actually make money because your warm audience is a limited size. Cold audience, unlimited size. You know, there's always people out there who don't know you. So if you can create a funnel that is converting at a good rate with that cold audience, 
that's what will allow you to scale big time. But that doesn't mean that a funnel that isn't converting at a cold audience necessarily isn't doing anything for your business. Right, exactly. Because there are certainly other ways to get organic traffic. You know, like I I know that you're, you know, ginormous on YouTube and I am just starting. So I get a trickle of traffic, but that's still like, it tends to be higher quality traffic than the Facebook ads. And it just converts. And I mean, not just in the sense of ultimately making a purchase, but it converts off of YouTube, like onto your website Uh so much better than really any other social media platform that I've found, which is why I do invest my time so heavily into YouTube. You know, we were talking about Instagram, how you're going to get this tiny, tiny fraction of people who actually see your post and then actually get onto your website. And then a tiny fraction of those people buy on YouTube. My best converting video Actually, I may have had a a higher converting video, but there was one that converted really well that also was quite popular. And so we really paid attention to it. Um, It was a video about how to write a business plan. And in it, I offered a free, you know, opt-in offer that was a business plan template. That video converted at 13%, meaning specifically that 13% of the people who watched the video got on my email list. Whoa. And then that video got over a hundred thousand views. So (laughs) that one video that took me not very long to make added thousands of people to my email list, which was really crazy. Did you see that coming? You know, I would say like, no, just because I'm, you know, I'm always turning out content. And so I don't necessarily like take the time or have the presence of mind to think about, you know, whether or not this is going to convert particularly well. So no, honestly, no. But in retrospect, I can 100% see why that video did convert so well. First of all, the topic of the video is very proven by keyword research, like how to write a business plan, popular keyword. Okay, so I could have predicted that it would have done well if it was at least a decent video. And then second thing was that the way I presented the opt-in offer in the video really maximized that conversion rate. So what I mean by that is, first of all, in the video thumbnail, I put the words plus free template. So people who clicked on it went into it with the expectation that there was going to be something good for them to get, you know, something that they wanted. So they went into it with that expectation. It wasn't like this pitch that I just added on at the end. They clicked on the video because they wanted the opt-in offer. And then in the video, I'm actually using the template to show them how to write their business plan. So clearly, if they clicked on the video, it's because they want to write a business plan. And then I'm offering them this free tool to do exactly that. So why wouldn't they opt in? So it really did make sense that it would have such a high conversion rate. Now, of course, that's a lot higher than most of, you know, most any videos opt in rate would be. But it's a great example of how high it can be if you do check all those boxes and do everything right. Um, But even on just a normal video where I'm just pitching some related opt in offer. So it's like a video about, you know, how to start your YouTube channel. And then I share I have this free workshop all about how to get views on YouTube. You know, it still is converting at a good rate of one or two percent at least of just the people who watch the video are actually signing up for the workshop. Mm. for a video that I made and I'm promoting quote quote promoting for free you know YouTube is promoting the video for me it's so it's free advertising for my business okay the reason I asked you that is because today I was editing a video of mine that I actually filmed before schools closed and everything Mm. so I knew that the whole the whole point would be to promote this one opt-in. So thank you for that thumbnail tip. Yes. It's basically me going through one of my own one of my ad cop no, my ad copy template 
Uh-huh. So, but so you the, need to put plus free ad plus, copy template yeah. on your thumbnail. So you can see the thumbnail if you just look up on YouTube, like Gillian Perkins business plan, you will okay. see that thumbnail and you'll see exactly what I mean. But it worked like gangbusters. Perfect. What I didn't do was like go through the basically the worksheet myself. That would have mm-hmm. been good. I, I kind of. If you're still editing the video, even if you just literally add a screenshot of the worksheet into the video, even if you're not using it, it really helps people to, you know, visualize what the value of that opt-in offer would be instead of just having it be words you're saying about like this free thing that might be helpful, but they see it and they see how it's helpful and then they believe it way more. Okay. I can add in a couple shots yeah, of very that. easily, I'm sure. Thank you. Yeah, I'm getting so much everyone. out of this. If you're making YouTube videos and you're trying to build your email list too, like use these tactics, they work. Well, because I have been really focusing on list building from YouTube and I see that it is working. So thank you. Those tips are like definitely because I've been showing the landing page, the sign up mm-hmm. page in yeah, the video, too. but I should actually show the thing. Yeah. At least a screenshot of it. it doesn't have to be the whole thing. Oh, yeah, preaching to myself here too, because I do it sometimes, but not always, but it, it really increases conversion rates. Okay, so we are running out of time here. There's one more thing that I wanted to touch on. Well, there I mean, there are several other things that I wanted to touch on, but something that I feel really relates to this conversation we're having about maximizing our results from specifically from paid ads here, but really from any sort of, you know, from YouTube videos too, any sort of promotional material you're creating is clearly the copywriting. You know, someone has to write these ads, someone has to write your sales page if you're trying to sell something. And of course, we can write it ourselves. We can work on improving our skills ourselves or we could hire someone to write it for us. And I actually really recently recorded an episode about my experience working with copywriters about a couple projects that I um, did last year that I invested pretty heavily in and the results that I got from that. And I know that you have worked with a few copywriters over the past few years as well. So I was wondering if you could share with us what some of those copywriting projects that you've hired out for have been and what your results and experience have been. Absolutely. Can I name drop the copywriters? Yes, please. Okay. (laughs) Fabulous. The very first person who I hired for copy was Natalie Taylor from The Missing Ink. She's based out of Australia. She's fantastic. I've worked with her now on several projects. She wrote a sales page for me for, no, it's still my, my like most premium program. I think at the time I was raising the price from 3K to 5K. Until then, I had written all the copy myself. Mm-hmm. And it was a leap, you know, like, but I knew that 2018 was going to be the year that I focused on learning how to sell this thing. So I was going to use it multiple times. And definitely the the ROI was insane. Now, she really undercharged me. This was several years ago now, so mm-hmm. yeah. definitely had lower rates. But she just does fantastic work. And then, so then I used that sales page in multiple launches to last year, I actually was revamping the program, kind of going after a different area, like a different niche inside of the already niche down. It's a program for ad consultants. So Uh I brought her back on to rewrite the sales page and also to to help me collect case studies, essentially, some of which would go on the sales page, some of which would go on the emails. I also had her write all of my launch emails because mm. while I can, can and did do that successfully in, in all of 2018, like write those emails, I always felt terrible. Like, 
oh, I have to write another email. Oh, I don't know what to say in this. Oh, I, I this could be so much better. Mm-hmm. And it's still, it did fine. I'm, so the first time when you hired her for that first sales page, she just wrote the sales page? Just the sales the page. Email? I wrote all the emails. Yes. I did all the webinar stuff myself, yada, yada. And then, you know, so she really helped me with the strategy more for this 2019 launch. And there I paid her significantly more. She still undercharged me because instead of revamping the sales page, she ended up rewriting the entire thing and and then wrote a lot of emails. And the reason why, like I was actually lowering the price on the program at the time, trying out a different a different time frame, removing some pieces from the program that were not working. But I also felt like, oh, I should probably lower the price. That was maybe a mistake, just FYI. But I knew that I would use every asset that Natalie wrote for me in an evergreen funnel. Mm -hmm. So this thing is not just for one or two launches. It is going to be for a whole funnel. And that's exactly what I did at the end of the year for at the end of 2019, when I was raising the price for my signature ads course, same thing. Emails, I knew were going to go into my funnel, sales emails. Webinar invite emails actually had a different copywriter write those because these were all like done at different points in the year, knowing like, okay, this can go in the funnel now, but then we'll use them in the launch because most people won't have seen them. New sales page, also written by Natalie. Fantastic. So the new sales page we would implement for the launch and then in the evergreen funnel, which was already like chugging it along at about a 2.7% conversion rate for organic traffic. Not with, bad at all. With the new sales font, the new sales um, page and emails were much closer to 4%, depending on what kind of global pandemic is out there. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> so then just recently, I started this different technique when actually my revenue was hit very hard at the very beginning of the the crisis that I was like, all right, I need to generate money fast. So I started doing these live workshops. And at the end of the workshop, I would upsell people into my course. Mm -hmm. All of the assets from my evergreen funnel were then used again. Every single email, that sales page, all these case studies that Natalie had written for me, or maybe the other copywriter had done the, the sales emails by then. I, I don't even remember. Mm-hmm. Everything I have used now multiple times. And so I am never really worried about the cost and the immediate ROI mm-hmm. when I know that this is just so many emails that I'm not going to have to write again. So many things that I can copy and paste and steal and repurpose and you know, use the topic of this email for a Facebook Live or whatever, that that's now how I look at working with copywriters as like, I will never do something. I will probably not pay a copywriter to write a one-off thing ever. Mm-hmm. It's got to be something that's going to get reused a lot. So the one like takeaway there would be look at what you know is going to be your signature course or a real pillar of your business and, you know, hire copywriters to help around that, around selling that, around getting people on that webinar, if you know you're going to use it for a while. So the first time you're trying something, the first time you're launching a new program and you're just 
experimenting. You might want to just write it yourself, you know, do mm-hmm. something simple, see what the demand is, see if you want to continue to offer it. But what you're right. saying is basically once you've decided this is something I want to keep doing, like we talked earlier about how long you've been selling your primary program, absolute Facebook ads, then it really makes sense to invest in those launch assets that you can keep reusing in your business. Because not only are you getting that like direct ROI on the sales that are being generated by using those assets. But also, I love how you pointed out, you could use it even as like the topic of a Facebook Live or things like that. So you're really like buying this business asset that's going to make your business stronger. It can help. It probably can help make you more confident with your messaging and all sorts of other things. Definitely. I mean, I think that, yes, copywriting can be learned. You can improve yourself, and I have. But I would also say that, like, I was a strong writer when I got into online business. Mm -hmm. You know, I was somebody who already wrote with personality at the time, and I've learned to do that better. But if that is not your – if that's not your forte – you know, start out, just like you said, if you're doing something for the first time, I just launched a brand new thing just a couple of weeks ago. And I'm, Mm -hmm. I certainly wrote every single thing myself and I don't know what I'm going to do with it again. You know, just having that, that conversation with myself over lunch. So I'm glad I didn't pay for anybody, but you, you can invest in your own, you know, there are great copywriting courses for less than a thousand dollars. So you can invest in that skill, which you're going to need You're not going to have a copywriter as much as you'd love for every single thing you have to write. So it makes Mm -hmm. sense to to improve that skill yourself. But also when it comes to time, when it comes to something that you know is going to bring in a lot of revenue too, like a $197 course, probably not the thing to invest in in a copywriter for. But like uh, 1,997, yeah, for sure. Yeah. That makes sense because then there's bigger stakes there, right? Yeah, yeah. So it definitely sounds like you've gotten your money's worth from the investments that you have made into copywriters. Uh, I'm curious though, did you make a positive ROI on your first launch with the copy that you used with that first sales page and then with the revamp of the sales page? The very first one? Mm -hmm. Yes. Oh, yes. I I think I paid her $2,000 for that, mm-hmm. which was a steal. And I made 40K. That yeah. was, you know, but like when you're selling a 5K program, I didn't get as many people as I was hoping. And it mm-hmm. actually took me longer. I had to push back the enrollment date because I started enrolling far too late. And people were like, I really want to do this, but I don't have 5K just like chilling. I need to yeah. <laughs> make this work. So it wasn't that I paid her 2K in over January and December excuse me, December and January, and then made that back immediately. No, I made it back by April. Mm-hmm. Yeah. but even And then the some. You it, oh, you yes, definitely. The first time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for, in your experience, working with copywriters has been a, a slam dunk of an experience. <laughs> well, sure. But the one thing I do want to say is it's not like you pay them the money and suddenly you have a completed sales page. Yeah. There's a lot of back and forth. Sometimes I've had to be like, okay, when is this coming? Cause I got to design this whole thing by myself. Mm-hmm. I have never hired a designer for a page. And that's probably my next step. Your next act of self-care. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's totally true. I love doing it, but it takes me so long. 
You you love it? Oh God. I, I do. Really I I also love copywriting actually, but also oh. it takes me so long. It just takes so much energy. So I think when you're like deciding, am I gonna do this or is someone else gonna do, you have to think about are you good at it? Do you enjoy it? And also how long is this going to take and like the opportunity cost there? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, same with emails. I kind of thought, yeah. oh, I'm going to get these emails. They're going to be done. Well, you got to edit. You got to put them all into your thing. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. It's a never ending process. Right. So it's really not completely done for you ever. Okay. Well, we got to wrap this up because I promise the listeners these episodes don't get too long, even though there's so much more that I would love to talk to you about. I mean, starting with the fact that we're both 30 something weeks pregnant and we've been prepping our businesses for paternity leave. And I wanted to get into that, but it's going to have to be another episode if it happens at all. So anyway, thank you so much, Claire, for everything that you've shared with us today. This has been really interesting and informative. Uh, If listeners want to find out more about you, what is the best place for them to do that? Well, since you you know, lovely listeners are listening to a podcast right now, just like hop over to the Get Paid Podcast. I think that's where you can continue listening to me rant about stuff. <laughs> if you just search Get Paid Claire, it's called the Get Paid Podcast, but uh, that name was not not really the best one in terms of search. <laughs> Get Paid Claire on whatever your podcast app is, and you'll see the, the redhead with the mic. And then, you know, follow along if you like solo episodes, if you like interview episodes, we've we've got it all for you. Yeah. Well, I, like I said at the beginning of this episode, I really do highly recommend your podcast. Although I'll warn the listeners now, if you want short and sweet, Claire's podcast is not for you. Not Claire for- is a talker, but it's good. Like I really, really enjoy it because I just get more. But yeah, if, if you need 30 minute episodes, then you'll have to, you'll oh, have yeah. to go to her blog and speed read or something. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can listen to them in multiple parts, but I can accelerate it to two times speed that that could it depends on the guest, you know, like (laughs) I, it's funny you say I'm a talker. It's more that I get my people to talk. Mm, I don't let them off the hook. I say, you're you're right. How much money do you make? Yeah. I mean, and and they're nosy questions too. So which I appreciate. I really appreciate that. Right. Like how much do you pay yourself and things like that? So yeah, it's, it's good, but not for the, if you need a brief a quick fix. Yeah, well, we didn't really talk about what your podcast is about, actually. Could you real quick explain the premise of your podcast? Oh, yeah. So I just want to know, like, how are people making their money specifically? What are their offerings? How much do they charge for those offerings? How do they sell them? What are their expenses? So if you're making, you know, $300,000, how much do you have to spend to get there? And how much are you paying yourself personally? I only recently started asking that question. Mm-hmm. So if you go into the archives, you won't hear that answer much. But But yeah, no, it's just a a lot of nosiness, but a lot of transparency, which uh, Mm -hmm. I find is just, you know, it's what people want these days. So if you who are listening right now appreciate my sometimes nosy questions and my, as a reviewer recently put it, my no pulled punches, then you will love Claire because she is much more confident with her questions actually and much less afraid of offending people in that way than I am. So she asks all the questions about all the numbers and I, I do really appreciate that. Anyway, thank you so much again, Claire, for joining me on the show here today and for everything that you've shared about Facebook ads and about copywriting and particularly about these strategies for getting the biggest results with our businesses, even if we don't always put in as much work or or hustle 24-7 like some people promote. So thank you so much. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Let's do it again. 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Work Less, Earn More. Now here's what I want you to do next. Take a screenshot of the episode you're listening to right now and share it out on your Instagram stories. And when you do that, make sure to tag me at Gillian Z Perkins so that I can see that you're listening. Sharing on stories is going to help more people find this podcast so that they can learn how to work less, earn more, and take back their lives. And when you share, I want to add it to my stories so that you can get some exposure that way as well. And if you really love the show, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave it a review to give the show a boost. Every single week, I feature a review on the podcast, and I would love to give you and your business a shout out. So if you leave a review, it will help the show, but it can also help your business as well. Today's featured review comes from Tomlin Campbell. Tomlin writes, I was listening to episode 35, Reasons You Aren't Making Money Online, for about seven minutes, and I had to pause and write this review because I was so excited about the value of this content. Gillian puts it out there plain and simple. This is what I learned right away. The reason I'm not making money online right now is because I'm not visible enough and my videos aren't high quality enough. Perfect timing, Gillian. No use of me feeling bad. I just got to go handle those two items ASAP. Get publicly visible and take the time to put out quality videos. Amazing takeaways. See ya. Got to go back and hear the rest of her podcast. Sincerely, Tomlin. Thank you so much, Tomlin, for taking the time to write that review. I really appreciate it. And I'm so glad to hear that you're finding the podcast so practical and helpful. Okay, let's wrap this up. I'm Elaine Perkins. And until next week, stay focused and take action.